Well, I'm happy for you guys to be back for the second week of our Marrying Well series. I hope it's being beneficial to you. Now, I've heard that some of you would actually like to see a picture of Linda when she was rocking some of those cutoffs I talked about last week. Now, hold it. Don't put it up yet. You guys know I could get in trouble for doing this, right? Yes. So I just want to be clear. This is a picture that Linda posted for my birthday on Facebook. It is a matter of public record. Now you can show it. Woo! Yeah. Sitting up here somewhere. Linda, just raise your hand up there. Yes, everybody can see her. Woo! That's one of the great things about marriage series. You get to have fun and relive when you were young and all of that. So just to be clear, as you guys can see, these, these are not the actual shorts uh, that I was talking about last week. These are actually a little longer. <laughs> but, you, uh, but you get the idea. Chemistry wasn't the problem. But chemistry wasn't the only thing on display in this picture. I mean, look at that glare. I'm feeling a little bit of it right now. (laughs) There's some serious attitude work in there. And so you have to ask yourself, man, do I want to marry a woman with an attitude like that? Well, that's part of what I want to talk about today. In our series on how to marry well, The major idea that we're proposing is that most of us get hung up on the cutoffs, the chemistry, and we never think about the other components of a marriage. And these components include finding out if we share a basic life purpose, if we're compatible, then seeking confirmation from key people who know us well, and, of course, chemistry. Marrying in this order is what Clayton and I are calling marrying from the inside out. But most of us reverse this order and simply start with chemistry, and because chemistry is good, we think that's all the confirmation we need, and so we roll the dice on everything else. It's a lot like playing the lottery with our marriages. But we are proposing that if we want to marry well, we need to be intentional about the four basic steps and then behave like we believe. And so today, we're going to take the second step and talk about compatibility. Now, when things work without conflict, they're said to be compatible. And this is a term that you and I use all the time about other things besides marriage. For example, when doctors do an organ transplant, they have to determine if the blood chemistry of the two people involved is compatible. I recently... I had the carburetor on my ATV changed out, and I had to make sure that the new one would match my engine. When a team is being formed, we need to know if the members of the team work well together, if they can play together. 
And when it comes to forming a marriage relationship, the same thing is true. You need to make sure that you're compatible, that you can play together, that you're a match, that you can get along. What we're saying is that compatibility isn't all that hard to discover, but it's crucial if you want to have a happy marriage. But to find out if you're compatible, it requires you to slow down and to have some honest conversations. If you're not compatible, it'll affect your marriage in a number of ways. You may find yourself arguing a lot You may find that you disagree over how to raise the children, how to spend your money, how much house is too much house to buy, what to do on the weekends or with your free time, how much sex to have, or who does most of the work when it comes to taking care of the kids. One of the most common compatibility problems and a sad one is when a friend confides in you, I don't know what happened. It's like he changed overnight. If you're surprised by the person that you married, if they don't seem like the same person you thought you married, it might be that you didn't do your homework when it comes to this second step of compatibility. And y'all, you know that getting this wrong can be devastating. So how do we go about discovering the right person to make a great life with? Well, to answer that question, I want us to return to our text for this series. It's the story of Isaac and Rebekah and how they got married in the Old Testament. Now, in case you weren't here last week, let's do a quick rewind on their story. In Middle Eastern culture, it was a father's responsibility to arrange the marriage for his son. So Isaac's father, Abraham, sent his most trusted servant to go back to his own relatives to find a wife for Isaac because Abraham knew that none of the local women shared a basic life purpose with Isaac. They did not believe in the same God. They didn't think the same way about people or stuff. None of them believed in those basic things that Isaac believed in. And as we saw last week, that is the first step in marrying from the inside out. Do I share a common basic life purpose with the person I'm considering marrying? So... Abraham sent this servant back to his own relatives to find a wife for Isaac. And so the servant, together with nine other men, traveled by camel for about a month back to Abraham's homeland, which was near the border between modern-day Turkey and Syria. And when they arrived at the town of Nahor, the servant began in earnest his search for a wife for Isaac. And here's what he did. First thing he did is he parked the camels near the local well of the town. Because he knew that toward evening, the young women of the town would come to the well to draw water for their households 
for the evening. And then he prayed the oddest prayer. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant, Isaac. See, guys, you're going about it all wrong. Now, you have to admit, this is kind of an odd way to look for a wife. But this prayer was actually quite significant. And we'll see why in just a few minutes. Just as he finished praying, we're told that Rebecca came to the well. And this is how the Bible describes her. It says, the girl was very beautiful and she was a virgin. Now, let's pause right there and recreate the scene in our minds. This servant and the men with him were watching the girls come out to draw water. And I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, I wasn't there, but I'm guessing that the more the girls began to show up, the more the guys began to talk among themselves. And I can just hear them, you know, saying, whoa, look at that one. Whoa, yeah, she would do just fine. Hey, here comes another one. And then Rebecca came on the scene and traffic stopped and lights went off and angels sang. And all the guys looked at Abraham's servant and they said, dude, Isaac would love us if we brought her home. And that's chemistry. It is chemistry. And it's what we often start with. But... It's not enough. And so the servant engaged Rebecca in a conversation to see if she might be compatible with Isaac. And this is where the prayer came in. He asked Rebecca for a drink of water, and she not only willingly gave him a drink, but without even being asked, she offered to water all 10 of their camels. Now, you may not know this, but camels can drink around 40 gallons of water at one time, which means that Rebecca drew about 400 gallons of water in order to accomplish this task. And at the most, her jar would have held about five gallons because that's about all she would be able to carry on her head. That means Rebecca lowered her jar into the well, filled it, drew it out, carried it over to the water trough, emptied it, and she did that about 80 times. And each time she drew that jar up out of the water with five gallons of water in it, at eight pounds a gallon, that's 40 pounds times 80 times. Yo, that's a CrossFit workout. (laughs) Rebecca was flat amazing. And from this brief interaction, Abraham's servant immediately learned seven things about Rebecca. First, he learned that she was respectful. She didn't know him, had never met him, and yet she was kind toward him. She was industrious and hardworking and strong. 
She had a servant heart. You know, it's one thing to water your own camels, but to offer to do it for someone else. She was generous and hospitable, and not to mention that she was beautiful. You know, Rebecca kind of reminds me of Linda. Yet, I didn't just marry Linda because she looked good in cutoffs. I mean, that was a good enough reason, maybe, but it isn't the only reason. Linda and I were planning to go overseas together as missionaries and to work in Africa. And I knew that if we got stuck in the mud in Africa, Linda wouldn't just stand over to the side and give me directions and wring her hands like, what are we going to do? I knew that she would get in the mud with me, put her shoulder to the bumper, and help push. And because she's strong, her help would matter. You know, with qualities like these that Rebecca had, there was no doubt in the servant's mind that if Isaac couldn't get along with a woman like Rebecca, he was the problem. Rebecca was such an outstanding person, the servant was pretty sure that she could get along with anyone. And y'all, that's the kind of person that we want to marry, isn't it? You want to marry a person that... When you look at them and when you think about them, you see their qualities and you're persuaded that this is an outstanding person. And y'all, that is what the work of compatibility is all about. Trying to discover that outstanding person that you can spend the rest of your life with. So what practical steps can you take to discover if you're compatible with the person that you're thinking about marrying. Well, Dr. Neil Clark Warren is the founder of eHarmony, the popular online dating site. Maybe you've seen one of their recent commercials. Uh, he's being interviewed. This, this guy's interviewing, uh, being interviewed by Dr. Warren, and it flips over to the scene of the girl crying hysterically, you know, and he's just talking about how his... His, his attempts to marry well never seemed to work out. Well, Dr. Warren was, before he started eHarmony, was a professor at a seminary. He was also a marriage counselor for 35 years. And he has written a little book entitled Falling in Love for All the Right Reasons. And in it, he outlines 29 dimensions of compatibility. So I want to spend a little bit of time and show you how some of these work. Now, there are actually four key uh, categories of dimensions plus the issue of chemistry. And I want us to start with chemistry because that's where most of us start. Now, you know, we have said in our series so far that chemistry isn't a good enough reason to get married. And you might kind of hear me saying that chemistry doesn't matter. That isn't true at all. Chemistry is very important. In fact, Dr. Warren makes it clear in his book that if you don't share chemistry with someone, it's going to be hard for you to stay married. So he's in favor of this. But as it relates to compatibility, one of the issues that you and I need to know is, is that it is possible for you to be compatible with someone and not have chemistry with them. Uh, if that were to be the case, you, might, you may already know somebody like that. It would be someone that would be a really good friend of the opposite sex. 
And you might enjoy hanging out together. You might get along really well together. But if you don't have chemistry, even though that person might be a really good, even best friend, it's not the person that you would want to make your life with. And so just because you have compatibility doesn't mean you ought to get married. Remember, we're teaching in this series that there are actually four things we need. We need to share a basic life purpose. We need to be compatible. We need to have the confirmation of other people who know us well, and we need chemistry. And so just because you're compatible doesn't mean you should get married. However, if you're not compatible, that also means you shouldn't get married. Now, when Dr. Warren talks about these 29 um, dimensions of compatibility, one of the ones that he, the one he starts with is actually what he calls screening dimensions. Think of something that you would sift something out with. That's what he means by the word screening. And there are actually seven of these. Now, here's why Dr. Warren begins with the screening dimensions. The screening dimensions are character flaws in a person. For example, uh, one example of those is what would be like habitual lying. Or another one is a word that he uses. I'll have to define it for you. It's called obstreperousness. Obstreperousness is when a person can never be pleased. It doesn't matter what you do. It's always going to be your fault. It's always going to be wrong. And you cannot make them happy. Those are examples of two of the screening dimensions that Dr. Warren mentions. Now, here's what is important about them. In his 35 years as a marriage counselor, Dr. Warren discovered that of the people that he counseled, when he found that either of the partners had even one of these screening dimensions in their life, their marriage never worked out. And so it is vital that you recognize whether or not the person that you're considering marrying might have one of these character flaws. Because if they do, it's going to be almost impossible for you to stay married. Now, after that, I want to talk about the dimensions or the categories of skills and qualities. There are three skills and there are three qualities that Dr. Warren mentions. Skills are things like communication. And qualities are things like, um, oh, my mind just went blank. Uh, let me just say it again. I'm sure it'll come. Qualities are things like, let me just look at my notes, kindness. There's a reason I couldn't remember kindness. I don't have a lot of it. <laughs> All right, here's what he says about skills and qualities. These are things that can be learned. And it is actually true. When Linda and I got married, I was short on kindness. She took a chance and decided to marry me anyway. But it is true. And so here's what I want to say about skills and kindness. The person that you're considering marrying, we're not saying you have to marry a perfect person. You're going to look a long time to find a perfect person. 
But when it comes to skills like communication and qualities like kindness, it's vital that if the person you're considering marrying doesn't have them, they need to recognize that they don't have them. And they need to be willing to learn them, to develop them, and it would be wise on your part to wait to marry until you see them beginning to work on these qualities. Y'all, by the same token, if you're already married and your marriage is in trouble around one of these issues, it's possible for you to solve that, but it's gonna take work for you to do it. And then the other category that Dr. Warren talks about, and I wanna say for last, is core personal uh, traits. And the reason is, is that there are 16 of these. Now, these are things like, how energetic are you? What are your values? What do you think about sex? How much sex you ought to have? Things like that that are crucial to a marriage. Um, Do you like to be alone? Are you industrious? Who has to have control of things? These are the kind of core personal issues that Dr. Warren's talking about. And the key word is core. Because one of the things that is true about these is that you are not going to change much, if at all, in the area of your core personal um, components. You pretty much are what you are. And here's the point. The more of these that you do not share in common The more of these where you are in conflict, it's going to cause more heartache and conflict and argument and disagreement in your marriage. These are like fires. When you're in disagreement, they're like fires that break out and you have to put that fire out. Another one breaks out and you have to put it out. And if you're spending all your time in your marriage putting out fires, it's hard to ever build the relationship together in a way that is unifying. It would be an indication that you really aren't a match. You don't get along. And so if that happens to you, It's going to be hard for you to overcome that. And your marriage, even if it stays together, it's not going to be very happy. You know, when people divorce for irreconcilable differences, the most common reason that people divorce in our culture today, it's because they didn't do the work of compatibility. And so we want to change that. It matters. And let me tell you why it matters. The purpose of your marriage, like we said last week, it's not just to get the guy or to get the girl. God has something that he intends for you to do as a married couple that you could not do alone. And so it's crucial that the person that you marry is someone that you share a purpose with and that you are compatible with so that As a couple, you make the contribution to society that God intended you to make. And so here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to slow down, to take time to find out if you're compatible. I want to encourage you to get a copy of Dr. Warren's book, 
We have some for sale in the Ethos Cafe, and you can also order them online if they run out. Take the time to work through the 29 dimensions. If you're already married, this might help you discover why you're having some of the problems that you're having. Dr. Warren has exercises in his book to help guide you through this process. It's easy to use. I want to encourage you to get it. I want to encourage you to be honest about compatibility. Getting married is the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. The only more significant decision is what are you going to do in terms of your faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. After that, who you marry is the second most important decision you'll ever make. And so, y'all, we have to get this right. And here's what I want us to do today to start toward getting it right. I want us to do what Abraham's servant did. I want you to pray about your marriage. Now, I don't know if you're in the habit of praying about important decisions, but it does matter. Because remember what I said back in early January. If you want to factor God into your life, you have to ask him what he thinks. And so there's nothing more important that you could ask him about than to say, God, I'm considering marrying so-and-so. I want you to guide me in that. And then whenever you pray that kind of prayer and link it together with a practical process like this, it gives God a chance to get involved in your life and to direct your life for your own good. And so here's how I want us to do it. If you're here with the person that you're thinking about marrying, or if you could be honest enough to just say, you know, our marriage needs some attention, I want you just to take the hand of that person. And then I want us to pray together. Let me lead you in that prayer. Heavenly Father, all of us who are married already know how significant this decision is. And Lord, I know that those who are considering it probably believe us at this point. And so my prayer for us tonight, God, is that we would open ourselves up to you and open ourselves up to one another that we would be honest with each other, that we would do the work, that we would take the time it takes to really discover the person that, you, uh, would be, that it would be good for us to marry. Lord, I pray for those who are considering getting married, who are talking seriously about it. I pray that you would enable them to have an open, honest uh, conversation and relationship with each other, maybe multiple conversations, to really determine if they're right for each other. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in their marriages. Maybe they didn't know to do all this work ahead of time, and their marriage is in trouble. It's not what they had hoped it would be. Lord, I pray that you would give them a unique ability to be kind to one another and to adapt to one another. And as they have these conversations, give them the skills they need to communicate and the skills they need 
to work through these conflicts together. Lord, we ask you to do that because we want our lives to make a difference. We want our families that we start to make a difference. Lord, we want to be happy with the person that we're going to spend the rest of our lives with. And so we ask your spirit to work in us and to take us through this process. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.